which you once walked according to the course of this world. All right, very good. We were prepared for that just in case. We were ready. Now, before we met Jesus, now listen, what did I just say? Before we met Jesus, after we meet Jesus, there's something different. But before we met Jesus, we followed the course and we followed the path of this world. And what that means is, now listen, listen, what that means is our core values, our view, um, the way we, we did things, the, the way we value things was all according to the world. Now, particularly today in the world and culture we live in, you know very truly that the world has a different set of core values, a different view than the, than the Christian walk of faith. I know, go back in the 50s when some of us were a lot younger, you go back that long ago and it's kind of a Judeo-Christian society and, you know, cheating on your wife was really frowned upon and, you know, those kind of things. The, the cultural sins were kind of frowned upon and so that's how we kind of got the tag as a Christian nation. But in culture today, the path of the world has reviewed the lostness, excuse me, has revealed the lostness of, of man and the losses of our culture. We are so stinking carnal as a culture. And that's how we were before we met Jesus. Listen, listen. Even if you were a pretty moral person, you followed the path of the world. And then he goes one step further and says this. He says, according to the prince of the power of the air. And who's he talking about? Satan. Before we met, met Jesus, not, not just the really bad people, all of us, he's going to say clearly, all of us followed the Pied Piper. All of us followed the Pied Piper of Satan. He would toot his tune and we would follow. And the reason why was because we were dead spiritually. We were alienated from God. Which, by the way, in case you ever wonder, well, you know, I, I, when, I was, when I was lost, I sought God. No, you didn't. First off, the Bible says no one seeks God. And second, dead people don't seek nothing. Dead people don't seek nothing. Amen. I mean, if the corpse is laid out right here, and you say, you know, that dog won't hunt. He's dead. And we can't seek God because we are dead. And we naturally follow the course of this world. And, and we follow the Pied Piper called Satan. He would toot his tune, and we would do according to the prince and power of the air. The spirit which now works in the sons of disobedience. Write down rebellion. The sons of rebellion. Before we met Jesus Christ as Savior, we were like sons of rebellion because that's what we were. So there's a, there's a picture of our lostness. And, and he makes it clear, make sure you understand, I understand, among whom also we, how many? All. We all once conducted ourselves according to the lust of the flesh. The fulfilling desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So, so Paul says, before Christ, we were spiritually dead. We followed the path of the world. The Pied Piper played his tune, and we followed him, according to the Prince and Power of the Air. That spirit that works in the spirit of rebellion, that works rebelling against God. All right, and this was all of us, he says. According to the lust of flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. Uh, first, I know, I know this is Nita's, one of Nita's favorite verses. It's First John 2.16. For all that is in the world, say all. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So when we see those activities going on, 
That's a, if you see that in someone's life, you go, oh, that's a lost person. That's how lost people act. They have the, the whatever the flesh craves, um, whatever the eyes crave, the pride that I don't need God. Someone talked about dependence on God tonight. Jackie did. You know, I don't need God. Those are all signs that people are lost. And that's how we were, all of us were. Now, get that. See, I know some of you say, well, I was a good moral person. I was a good person before I got saved. May well have been. But I'll say it one more time. On your best day, I thought that was a very powerful line this morning. You need to hear it again. On your best day, you are totally depraved, separated from a holy God, and on a fast track to hell. That's what you were before Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something. If that don't get, excited about, get you excited about God's grace, if that don't get you excited about His marvelous act of salvation, and also I said His act of salvation, if that doesn't get you excited about the cross, something's just dead wrong. Dead wrong. We th- listen, we think way too much of ourselves. We think, we think way too much of ourselves. This is a picture, no matter how moral you may have been, no matter how religious you were, no matter how well you follow the rules before Jesus, this is your self-portrait. And you know, it's really an interesting thing where it says, by nature, children of wrath. I think some translations say objects of wrath. Interestingly enough, literally the Greek translates the word children. And they were in a close relationship. The, when you were before saying, you were in a close relationship. Did you know that? Before you met Jesus, you were in a close relationship. Not with God, but with His wrath. You were one heartbeat away from hell. You were one heartbeat away from eternal separation from God forever. You were in very close relationship. The moment your heart was stopped beating, the moment the last breath came without Christ, you would experience the full wrath of God. Unnecessarily, because Jesus stood on the cross. But when we reject Christ, when we turn away from Christ, then we experience that wrath. So that's who Paul says we were. And you need to understand that. We need to get over the fact that we were a pretty good person and understand that we were depraved totally, Without God, on our best day, we deserved hell. And then, he does something. And here's what we are. But God. And you know, we always talk about this but God thing. You know, it'd be, you know I say this facetiously, but it's too bad we can't use it because it would be too much of a joke. But, you know, the big buts in the Bible. I know, yeah, see, you laugh. You think, but those, there are so many times that that word, that conjunction but, is just huge in spiritual truth. Huge in spiritual truth. In fact, in the Greek, it's, it's not but God, but God but. And the reason why is the emphasis is put on the most important word. And the important word is not the conjunction. It is God. It is God. So God who is rich in mercy. God who is... Now, isn't that wonderful? Come on now. Somebody say amen. amen. God is rich in mercy. And that, that word mercy... Uh, just like grace has been defined as unmerited favor, so, so mercy is defined as unmerited kindness. You know, God extended this wonderful kindness to us. Um, I was going to use it later, but now it's as good a place as any. Even though, you know, God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, not after we got better, not after we cleaned up our lives, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is... Huge unmerited favor that is huge unmerited kindness. So God who is rich, lavish in His mercy. Why? What did we talk about this morning? What, what compelled us this morning? 
The love of Christ compels me because of his great love. Now, circle that word love. You're taking notes right down to seek the highest good. It's agape, but one of the definitions of agape in the Greek is to seek the highest good. Now, watch this. That means that because of his, his unmerited kindness, God, okay, sought the highest good for who? Me. And you. Now, come on, come on, come on. The highest goodness, the highest good for you. And what was the highest good? Redemption, salvation, and forgiveness. So, so you say, because of his, his love, because he sought the highest good, he loved us. He sought that good. And he did it through an old rugged cross. He did it by, by becoming flesh. He did it by, by Jesus living and dying in that flesh. And that Jesus Christ hung on that cross, experienced the wrath of God, was buried and resurrected and coming back again one day. He, he showed us that good. He didn't talk love. He did love. So many of these husbands, and, and sometimes this one too, says, I love you, honey. I love you, honey. I love you, honey. But we never show that love. Well, God just didn't talk love. Come on now. God didn't just talk love. He demonstrated love. While we were yet sinners, before we cleaned up the act, because we couldn't, He died. Christ died for us. So, so he, he, it's unmerited kindness because of this great seeking of the highest good for me. He loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sin. Even though we were dead in trespasses and sin, He loved us. You know, it's an amazing thing that, that even though we deserve nothing, God gave us everything. Even though we deserve nothing, He gives everything. Again, it's that, that beautiful illustration that, that we were dead, stone dead spiritually, and He made us alive again. And then, then Paul gives us a glimpse because he says, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. All this happens outside of your merit. All this happens without anything that you did. Now, do you really get that tonight? We'll move on past grace when we get that fully, which will probably be somewhere again after we die. I mean, grace is a wonderful thing, folks. And I think we ought to serve God. I think we ought to, we ought to have ministry. I think we ought to do, but not to earn God's favor. I'm not trying to make Him happy. We ought to do it because we love Jesus Christ because He loved us first. And I tell you what, again, if he gives you nothing else, you know, you, our students here, if you guys grow up and you grow up in poverty, sorry, Jeremy, you know, that's the way it is, you know. You work for Jeremy the rest of the life at the barbecue barn. You know, at seven fifty an hour, okay? <laughs> you know, if, if, that's, if that's how it turns out, if you know Jesus Christ, you got enough. You got enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus plus nothing really is everything, as our brother said Wednesday night. So then, what else are we? We'll look at verse number 10. We're going to skip ahead. We'll come back. For we are His workmanship. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 gets all the credit. But verse 10 is incredibly powerful. We are His workmanship. And literally in the Greek, we are His work of art. This word appears here. And it appears in Romans 1.20. And in Romans 1.20, it is translated from these words. What he has made. Talking about creation. So the two times this word workmanship is used, it's one referring here to us, we are his workmanship, and the other time to all creation. And if I remember correctly, in Genesis, God created creation and said it is 
good. And then he created us and said, it is good. So here God has made us his work of art, his masterpiece. How? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. There it is. There it is. Not, not, again, not. Listen, God's got things for us to do. And it's our high privilege because of His love for us and our love for Him. This mutual relationship of love. He's got good works for us to do. And and Terry's got them for you. And Sheila's got them for you. And Jane's got them for you. Each one of us have a path that God has called us with the privilege of serving in His kingdom. Isn't that cool? And and so funny, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, you 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 didn't just pop out of your mama one day. Okay? And God said, now what do I want Max to do? Max, can I get back to you on that one? Um, Go ahead and grow up to 10 and I'll let you know. Before, listen, beforehand, God had written you a story. And you trusted Christ and now you had the privilege of fleshing out that story that he wrote for you. I didn't know. I had no plans after high school. I didn't know God's plan for me included 12 years in the Air Force. I didn't know it included getting out of the Air Force, um, you know, enjoying it, but getting out and then going in now 32 years later in the pastorate. I'm not sure where you were in your call to worship. I don't know. But God knew. And by the way, there's comfort in that. What you don't know, God knows. You can lay your head down on your pillow tonight in peace and comfort because God knows what you don't know. And He's sovereign. He's bigger than whatever it is you're going to worry about tomorrow. Come on, amen? So, so we are His... Workmanship. We've been made alive. We've been forgiven. And, and we have this, this wonderful call as his masterpiece to serve him. Something that was done before even the foundation of the world was laid. Now, what shall we be? What shall we be? Now, listen. I just looked at somebody's face. I'll look over here. This is true what I'm telling you. This is true what I'm telling you. Your life right now seems pretty messed up. This is true what I'm telling you. He raised us up together. The word there refers to like Christ. In the same way that Christ was raised up, was resurrected uniquely. So we are raised up, resurrected uniquely. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love this, guys. If you'll notice, it's not future tense. It's as if it's already happened. You see it? And made us to sit in heavenly places. In some wonderful, mysterious way, it's as if we are already in heaven with Christ. Now, let me tell you something. If you're still clinging to the idea that somehow you've got you've to stay saved, that you've got to do enough work so you can stay saved, and if you quit being a... You know, if you keep keeping the rules that you'll become unsaved and, and then you gotta get resaved, and then you get unsaved, you gotta get resaved, and you get unsaved, resaved, unsaved, resaved, unsaved, and you're going nuts. Rest in grace. He who saved you holds you. He who saves you holds you. In some mystical way, Paul says, and doesn't really reveal it to us too much, but we're already there. It's as if it's so sure. That we're already made to sit together in these heavenly places. Um, Paul referenced in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is where? In heaven. It's not here. 
our citizenship. We're already citizens of heaven. In some wondrous way, we're already there. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, He might show forth, He might put us on display the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We are God's trophies of grace. I'm not sure what all heaven's going to be like. But I know this. Somehow, in a wonderful, beautiful way, as we're in eternity, we will be constant testimonies of God's amazing grace. Come on now, that's worth saying amen for. Up there. Yeah, come on, y'all. I know it's Sunday night. Come on. Listen, let me read it again. In the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness. For ages to come, we're going to testify grace. For by grace you have been saved. Amazing grace, amazing grace, amazing grace. All of us will go, walk up to David and say, David, David, you know why I'm here? And David will go, how? I'll go, grace. Then we'll walk up to Dan and say, Dan, you know I'm here? Yeah, how, Dwayne? Grace. We're going to testify of the greatness of God's grace for all eternity. It's a horrible illustration. But just like you go to some homes and there's trophies on the wall. And they say, yes, that's, that's my prize. Well, we are Christ's prize. And we are prized because of His grace. Isn't that just incredible? It really is. And how long? For the ages to come. Now, how did all that happen? And this is the part we all know. For by grace, by God's unmerited favor, you have been saved. And how that happened? It happened through faith. And again, I mentioned this this morning, and there's some debate in the Greek structure of what it means, but, but and that not of yourself, it can apply to the works part or it can apply to the faith part. They're really not sure. You have scholars who debate on both sides. But we're saved by faith, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And again, you don't earn gifts. You, know, you, you receive gifts. And you can't earn God's favor. You can't earn God's merit. You are a product of gifting. And that gift is Jesus Christ. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, here's what I know. The more we understand these scriptures, the richer our relationship with Christ will be. And the more content we'll be as His children. Because if we don't understand what He's done for us already, we may find ourselves constantly with our hand out saying, please, sir, can I have more? You don't need any more. you got it all. Again, God doesn't do it in dabs. He does in buckets. <laughs> the ice bucket challenge. But it's not, oh, come on now. It's, listen, buddy, it's not the ice bucket challenge. It's the grace bucket challenge. God just dumps buckets full of grace. Come on now. Buckets full of grace all over us for all eternity. For all eternity. Now, now you relish in that. You go home in that. And, and tomorrow when Satan walks up and says, you ain't, you done, and you fail in this and that and this and that, say, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not about me. It's about God's grace. Preacher done told me he dumped buckets full on me. And better than that, God said he dumped buckets full on you. Read, read, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. My grace, Paul. You know, God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So relish that this week. As you leave to go out into this world, watch this. 
as you prepare even for next week as we gather together in a place of worship. Relish that. Relish that amazing, wonderful grace that God has put on us. Would you bow your heads right there?